0: Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief Tom DeSorcy. It's not news that firefighters face many challenges in our line of work so much so that we train specifically to expect the unexpected. One of those issues comes with homes that are overcrowded, not by people, but by stuff. Social worker Elaine Birchall is a hoarding behavior and intervention specialist. She is the director of Birchall Consulting and the founder of the Canadian National Hoarding Coalition. For the past 19 years, Elaine has dedicated her practice to working exclusively with people who hoard and their families and to providing training to professionals and organizations across North America. Elaine is the co-author of Conquer the Clutter, Strategies to Identify, Manage and Overcome Hoarding, published by Johns Hopkins University Press. And she joins us today from Ottawa, Ontario. Elaine, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Tom. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Is is every, every heavily cluttered environment considered a hoarding situation or should it be?
1: It's a pretty safe bet if it is a heavily, I'm talking heavily. That's the operative word. Um, cluttered environment. That the person is either already at the point of having a hoarding disorder or is well on their way to developing it. But there actually are three criteria um, that need to be met for something to be to qualify as hoarding disorder.
0: And what would that criteria be? Would that be, uh, I guess, a definition of, uh, of hoarding?
1: Yes. Well, the definition is four and a half pages long in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders. It is it is the abbreviated version. So the first is that there must be what most people would describe as an excessive accumulation. And I say a failure to resolve that in some way proportionately. Now that's not the one thing in and one thing out. If you can do that, you're nowhere on the continuum or or the pathway to hoarding at this point anyway second criteria is some or all of the living spaces can no longer be used for their intended purpose. That can be your home, your backyard, your car, your office, your computer with digital hoarding um, as well. Third criteria is either somebody is distressed actively or if they knew the true condition of the property, they would have a legitimate reason to be concerned could be neighbors who don't know they're living at such an increased risk of the level of combustible materials and less than cautious um, preventative measures being taken in the residence attached or close by. Could be your mortgage company, your insurance company, your children's services, services for the elderly, the Humane Society with Animal Hoarding, obviously the fire department.
0: What causes hoarding? Is it something that occurs? Well, obviously, you can't fill your home full of full of things overnight. This has to take some time, I would think.
1: It Yes, it does. There are a number of what I call life cycle patterns um, and a lot of misconceptions about hoarding though, Tom. Some people think that hoarders can't throw out or they can't get rid of things. That's not true. Some get rid of things more easily than you and I. But if that's true, if they can get rid of things pretty easily, then the incoming must be significant. Other people don't acquire much more than the average person, probably less in fact, but not one single thing leaves that place. That's a different life pattern. But it all ends up in the same situation, excessive accumulation. And the reason that's so important um, is the risk that it creates, physical risk risk and the safety, fire risk.
0: The fire risk, and we talk about, uh, you know, certainly to use the word fire hazard and the Mm -hmm. safety. uh, Usually we don't see the hoarding situation until we're called to that residence uh, and, and trying to deal with that. It, it can. I mean, I, I get the impression. I, I think I'm under the impression that fire departments proactively are somewhat powerless to deal with hoarding situations. Is that correct?
1: I wouldn't say powerless um, because the truth that I've discovered in the last 19 years is the perfect combination of mental health support offsite, like onsite where the hoarding's happening, plus a really open informed and willing to communicate uh where the boundaries and limits are those two personnel going out together end up creating the best results and the reason for that is that for any level of success short term long term or something in between you need to help people understand first of all discover and understand and deal with the underlying factors that are feeding that are causing the hoarding to be worse and then you also need to clean up the property okay but the condition of that property is a direct result of the untreated behavior the untreated fears the untreated t- trauma um untreated loss and so when i go out with fire inspectors here in ottawa we are covering both bases together, and we work as a team, and that creates the best safety net and the fewest reasons why somebody has to become resistant. It's
0: It must be hard to reason with people who are, are considered hoarders, and approaching these people with sensitivity and without judgment must be difficult. How do we handle that?
1: Well, that can be difficult because, of course, you're right. Generally, When agencies go out, they open the door, and that's the first they realized um, that that situation existed behind closed doors. I guess just to understand that people do things, no matter how contradictory it may seem, people do things for good reasons. They do some pretty unwise, pretty dangerous things for reasons that are good in their mind and they're generally responding to some kind of problematic belief system, all right? And so to be able to suspend judgment, no matter what your internal voice is saying, and, you know, quite often dealing with mental illness, and that's what this is. When you discover a situation like you described, Tom, you're dealing with somebody, whether you can pinpoint what it is or not, who is mentally ill. Right? They are not seeing the world the same way. And the challenge for the firefighters that I, and fire inspection officers that I go out with is, but their job is to get them on the right side of the line. That's why pairing up with a mental health professional and somebody who knows about hoarding and understands hoarding, is the perfect combination because that person will deal with the mental health aspect and and then the fire inspector can deal with what the recommendations are, what the deadlines are and help to interpret exactly what it will look like when they return, what needs to have been done. And you continue to do that. It also means that the fire inspector doesn't have to go out as often because that other part of his team or her team is on site and there's an open dialogue between the client, the mental health professional and the fire inspector so that there aren't different things being said depending on who you're talking to and it builds trust. It also creates compliance
0: we we don't make a practice uh, you know in the fire inspection business of, of routinely visiting private residences there must be some obvious referrals or a reason why you're attending these homes and I I'm interested as to how you would do that in particular the homes that you're you're involved with
1: well for for me um, of course I get direct referrals from individuals themselves from agencies from their psychiatrists psychologists, from family. Um, And when I go out, one of the first things I cover with the person on the first visit is that I will not stand by and be complicit in them creating an imminent risk for themselves or someone else. And that should the day come when it's clear to me that we're not making a sufficient progress or that progress is being habitually lost because the danger is being recreated, they won't have to wonder where the call came from. It will come from me and that I will ask them to stand beside me while I make the call so that they know that it was just facts that was described and that there was no judgment, no um, insult to them. It's not well received in the moment, you can imagine, but it builds trust in the long run because they know they can count on me to set boundaries and set limits and that the progress we need to create is real. It's not fluff. Um, And if the fire inspector was part of that team at some point and they communicated certain things have to be done, then that's what it is. And the deadlines. Are real and that works. That works really well Tom.
0: Are we wrong in thinking that hoarding is limited to a person that lives by themselves all the time?
1: No, not at all. Not at all. Um, There is no combination of family or individual that hoarding uh, respects. I have couples who both hoard I have couples where one person hoards, the other person enables. I have couples where one person hoards and the other person leaves. Families, um, one of the saddest, and it's true, it's a true story. Uh, it's, it's a story about many families, really, where it was easier, as hard as it is for anybody to believe who doesn't have a mental illness, it was easier for that couple to give up their children than to face the repeated failure um, of remediating the environment. And I'm called out a lot by Children's Aid, and that was the saddest day of their life. But they really, and I think they were, I think they were accurate in it, Dom, they really realized that they could not successfully parent. And that this, these children that they loved so much, as much as we love our children, needed more than they were ever going to be able to provide.
0: What, what, what would you consider, uh, in your experience, to be the best way to deal with children that you come upon? I guess on a on an incident on, a, on a, at a property that must be very difficult.
1: Yes, it is. So. I do a three part assessment. I do a mental health assessment when I in the first session generally um to find out what their status is as far as depression, anxiety and the degree of isolation that they're living with. And that can even be in an intact family where secrets are held. I remember one uh, call, it's funny how there are no accidents. The couple had it turned out one of the worst Uh, hoarded environments and most dangerous that I had ever seen. And they had six children. And um, one of the children by accident hit 911. And the police came to the door. And they asked to come in. And of course, there was some resistance and some covering behavior to try to avoid that. And finally, the police the, of course, the more the person dodged, the, the mother and father dodged, the more the police became determined that they were going to step over the threshold. And they came in and they saw it. When we cleaned out that environment, the mice were so bold um, that there were nests in the couches that the kids were sitting on. And these were kids, six children, who got up, got cleaned up, got turned out, spit and polished and off to school with lunches and the parents were active in the community. These are bad parents. Um, these are kids, however, that are not able to reach their developmental milestones. They're, I'm working with a 75-year-old woman right now. She needs me before she says she finishes this world to somehow undo the trauma um, that she Lived with and the the side effects of being a child living in a severely hoarded environment. It, it's a legacy that stays with people.
0: Uh, that that uh, what I was thinking of next. When you talk about family or children living in that environment, is that something that they would carry on because that's what they're used to when they uh, when they grow up?
1: I, no. It, it's not that that can't happen Tom particularly in the case of modeling behavior where you know it's a close knit family um and it can be it can be a very loving family um and sometimes yes sometimes some children um will repeat the behavior but generally that's based on family values not necessarily the behavior and they don't no one ever goes about intending to create a hoarded environment or recreate it in the next generation, it's based on beliefs and, and firmly held family values, fears, what we teach our children, sentimental, uh, sentimentalizing things. Um, you know, we've all heard it's a sin to waste. Well, that's only so true. But the other thing, too, that needs to be appreciated, Tom, is that we're all vulnerable. Look right now with the COVID 19 crisis. Is there any rational reason why there's no toilet paper anywhere? Because this is not a virus that logically, in reality, affects the gastrointestinal system. There's no reason to hoard toilet paper. And yet there were fights breaking out in stores. And if you go, it is a reality. People are responding to fear. And when they do when they feel a sufficient level of fear that is above their tolerance level, they are going to do some abnormal behavior almost certainly.
0: you mentioned toilet paper Is there a pattern to to what gets hoarded on a uh, and you can you can indicate get, get an indication that there might be a problem?
1: Well, yes, toilet paper would not be on that list, so that's kind of a <laughs> an, an ironic common population level example of responding to fear Um, so you're looking at paper paper is a big one because if you look at the amount of unsolicited paper in whatever form flyers newspapers mail whatever that comes into our environment unsolicited that's that is a problem Uh, food is another a lot of people in this world are living with food insecurity or they grew up with food insecurity and so they don't have an on-off switch for when they have enough. And every time something goes on sale, um, they feel the need to go in and and stock up on it as though it was suddenly going to disappear. Um, Clothing is another. Um, Even going to, you know, used clothing stores and and buying up. Um, Animals, when you are isolated and you don't have that human connection because you're ashamed, you're feeling ashamed, um, or you have burned the relationships in your family, and it's not that you're not loved, but they don't want to get pulled back into the vortex. People often resort to pets, and there's nothing wrong with having pets. It's a matter of why you have them and whose needs are being met. Um, And so, when you can't have a healthy relationship with your pet or pets, sometimes there aren't enough. Some people then convert to being a rescuer because it makes them feel good about themselves. There are all kinds of things that get hoarded. Anything imaginable can and is hoarded. Human waste can be, you know, can be hoarded. I've been in environments where. You know both forms of human waste were hoarded. Beauty's in the eye, and importance and value and significance is in the eye of the beholder.
0: I've seen it before, you know you you obviously relate your experience and 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 my career certainly has have seen it around. I think in a smaller community, going back to what I said about not making the regular practice of visiting private residents based on complaint, uh, fire hazard is only one, I guess, concern. We're talking health issues. You, you mentioned about mm-hmm. animals. You're mentioning about about rodents. Uh, mm-hmm. It just goes so many different ways in terms of it being a challenge that so many different agencies may get the call that this needs to be addressed or looked at. Is should this be a multi-agency response beyond fire and bringing in other mental health professionals and whoever else in your community to to deal with these as they as they crop up?
1: Absolutely. The the first combination, whoever trips over it makes a referral to fire, for instance, if there's an imminent safety hazard. Normally what I try to do, um, because people are more likely to repeat it, is I ask permission for the two or three, however many are in the treatment um, group, that we contact their family doctor. So the family doctor now becomes knowledgeable about what the situation is. And if it is severe enough and we cannot remediate it in short order, then sometimes children's aid has to be called. I've had clients, however, who were not able to make a difference in their environment for themselves, but at the thought of the Humane Society coming in and possibly apprehending their animals, that was enough. It's not like you want to be the hammer, but if you can support the person in reestablishing enough self-esteem and and self-respect that they can accept the help that agencies can give, not the judgments. That's why it's so important for us. These people have been hiding behind that door. They've been passing in the, in our community. You would be astounded at the professions and the people that I have worked with anonymously that you think have everything going for them, and yet they return to their environments and there's a story in, in Conquer the Clutter, and it's not a story, it's, it's three different professionals, all of them lawyers, who had to climb up two feet in order to get through the entrance door. And they went home to very different circumstances. But They're able to compartmentalize. There are basically, I think, two camps that people fall into. Generally, the individuals who uh, wake up, you know, it builds up around them, they've got blinders on and then one day, the blinders for whatever reason get lifted and they look around and think, when did this happen? Um, those are our high functioning individuals. They have compartmentalized their work, their profession, their image, their public image. Um, but their situations can be every bit as severe as those people you see on Hoarders and Hoarding Buried Alive, where the gathering of things and having whatever um, you deem important or beautiful enough, desirable enough around you, and you cocoon with it. You fall into the stuff is my friend, or when did this happen And when you wake up? Either way, you're likely to be in a severe situation.
0: Elaine, where can firefighters find a list of uh, resources uh, that they can refer people for help, uh, the help they need to live safely?
1: So if you go to my website, hoarding.ca, I have a wealth of free resources there. And I'm doing podcasts right now. I've been doing it on Zoom, but we got Zoom bombed today in a in a very violent way. So... Um, if they go to hoarding.ca, wherever the next uh, platform we're going to resume with will be there. Those are free. People can. Most of the resources, almost all the resources on my website are free. And it's a great place for people to start and for firefighters to gain more information. And if they need to, they can email me. My email address is elaine.berchall at hoarding.ca and I'd be happy wherever they are I would be happy to put them in touch with organizations that I have trained because I've trained all across Canada.
0: Elaine Birchall I appreciate uh, your time today and thank you for joining us. Hoarding Behavior and Intervention Specialist that's Elaine and uh, of course check out the uh, the website and you'll find out more information. Again thanks very much very good information and again another challenge that people like us in the fire service and emergency response have to deal with uh, more often than people know, I would think. But not alone. (laughs) But not alone. Thank you, Elaine. You're welcome. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada, the podcast brought to you by Drager. Drager products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com for more episodes.